Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 23rd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and I am really thrilled to be joined on this episode by a terrific young actress and a really lovely person whose name is not known or easily pronounced by many, but who is going to be a big star for a long time to come. Her name is Sersha Ronan. First name spelled S-A-O-I-R-S-E, pronounced Sersha like inertia. It's worth learning because this 21-year-old, and you won't find a more impressive 21-year-old, is almost certainly going to receive a Best Actress nomination for a movie that might well receive a Best Picture nomination in just a few weeks. It happens to be my favorite movie of the year, John Crowley's Brooklyn, and it tells the story of a young girl who comes from Ireland to America and finds herself caught between two worlds and two men. The film had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in January, where it was acquired by Fox Searchlight for a record $9 million, largely on the back of a great and very affecting performance by Ronan. Ronan's been on the scene for barely a decade, but she's really made that decade count. Eight years ago, at the age of just 13, she received a Best Supporting Actress Oscar nomination for her performance in Joe Wright's Atonement, which also received a Best Picture nomination and really put her on the map. Since then, she's worked across the genres in Peter Jackson's horror flick The Lovely Bones, in Peter Weir's period piece The Way Back, Joe Wright's action flick Hannah, Jeffrey Fletcher's crime indie Violet and Daisy, Neil Jordan's horror flick Byzantium, Andrew Nichols' sci-fi adventure The Host, Wes Anderson's Oscar-nominated comedy The Grand Budapest Hotel, and many others. And starting on February 29th, you'll be able to see her on Broadway in the latest revival of The Crucible, a 20-week limited engagement produced by Scott Rudin. In the meantime, though, she is running around picking up accolades left and right for her terrific performance in Brooklyn. She's already been nominated for the Best Actress Prize at the Golden Globes, the SAG Awards, and the Critics' Choice Awards. She has won the Best Actress Prizes of the British Independent Film Awards, as well as the Detroit, Boston Online, San Francisco, D.C., and most importantly, New York Film Critics Groups. Those go along with the New Hollywood Award that she picked up at the Hollywood Film Awards in October, as well as the Palm Springs International Film Festival's International Star Award and the Santa Barbara International Film Festival's Outstanding Performer of the Year Award that she's going to pick up in the days to come. We sat down last month at the Savannah Film Festival in Savannah, Georgia, where she was the recipient of a special tribute on the day after the death of the most celebrated Irish actress of all time. So let's go to that conversation. Thank you very much for doing this. And uh, I wanted to just get one sort of sad thing out of the way, which is that yesterday Maureen O'Hara passed I away. Know. And I wonder for you, you know, being 
of Irish descent? Is, is she somebody whose life and work was important to you? Yeah, I, I think for any Irish actress, you know, Maureen really for, for so long, and it's only really starting to change now, which is kind of mental, was... She was the only one that represented us in Hollywood. Um, and I think to have someone who was kind of uh, still with us that was from the Hollywood golden era mm-hmm. was was kind of precious. I got to meet her a few years ago. Oh, and yeah, she was just such a lady and a real dub as well. Like, you know, um, was I was with my, my mum and my dad because it was when I was younger and she was swapping stories about, you know, our school and the people that she grew up with and just, you know, like a lot of Irish people at home, just very grounded and, and down to earth. But definitely there's, I think with someone who has been a part of that world, there is a different kind of air to them, yeah. you know. There's something very kind of glamorous and, and uh, classy about a woman like that. So totally. it's very sad, yeah. Why do you think it's been that over the years since she broke through, let's say the uh, it was early 40s, there have been a lot of Irish men who have made it in this business, a lot of Irish actors, but not very many Irish actresses. Is there any rhyme or reason for that? I mean, I guess Brenda Frecker had a little period there with My Left Foot and Home Alone, and but yeah. not many. There aren't, and, and even with Brenda, I mean, I think Brenda is, is one of the best actors out there. Um, but, you know, did a lot of kind of character, not but, she did a lot of character mm-hmm. pieces and, and is so terrific. Um, and there's a lot of other actors at home that have that gift and have that talent. And the great thing about Brooklyn is that we kind of got to showcase that. You know, there's so many scenes in this film that just consist of women interacting with each other. And it's not necessarily them talking about men or sex or anything like that it's just it's this kind of entertaining uh interaction that they have with each other and yeah I mean you know a lot of people have obviously been asking me about it because I'm Irish and I've done a lot of kind of international things I don't really know I don't know why because like Maureen and also like the the kind of spirit that the likes of Maureen and Brenda and people like that bring to their performances is um, there's so much character there and I was saying this to someone yesterday that Irish women even when it comes to you know a bloke coming up to her in a bar and trying to chat her up we're very very feisty (laughs) and we don't let anyone away with anything and that comes into our work and it came into the work when I was playing Eilish and all the, like Eva Barthissel who um, plays the woman that she meets on the boat and has all this kind of sass and she's very quick and that's what Irish women are kind of inherently like. So I would hope that with a film like this that will start to change and will start to, you know, just give a lot more Irish actresses a chance because there's terrific people at home, so many talented people at home. Absolutely. Now, you were actually born in America, right? I think a lot of people yeah, don't Bronx, realize that the Bronx. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, I expect it. Clearly. A, when you hear that, you expect an accent, but not your oh, accent. Do you, can you not hear my Bronx <laughs> your accent? Your Bronx accent. Really? It's, uh, it's slipped I, away. I sound just like Jennifer Lopez. That's yes. What I, that's what I've been told. So what were the circumstances? You're born here, but ended up back in Ireland and then back here. And what, yeah. what happened? Um, my mom and dad went over to New York in the 80s. There was a really bad recession at home and um, there was no work. And so my dad uh, my dad and my mom were, you know, in their early 20s, mid-early 20s. 
um, and they decided they were going to go over and so dad and his friend went ahead of time and kind of got things set up and then my mum and their friend's girlfriend went over and followed them and um, and I mean it was a huge sacrifice it really was and to be honest even me leaving home yesterday to come over here I, I had only been home for a few days and I felt a real um, I felt like I was being pulled away you know like I wasn't quite ready yet to leave and that's a feeling that I think is kind of universal to everyone and and so yeah mum and dad did that and they were there for about 10 years and um they got pregnant with me and mum was adamant that they were going to have me there because they were illegal for three Mm -hmm. years and you know went over there didn't know when they'd be able to come home again and you know with the result weren't able to come home for another three years Mm and um in that time they got married in city hall like my character Ailish and Tony Emery's character did and um, it was a very very similar story Um, and so when I was about three we went back home to Ireland because they wanted me to be raised at home um, to have a garden and you know things like that Mm -hmm. and I grew up in the country and uh, now I live in Dublin lived in London for about a year and you've gone back and uh, yeah and now I've gone back and I'm actually going back to New York now next year to live and and to work over there so I've kind of gone full circle I can't wait yeah yeah. So we're going to obviously hone in mostly on Brooklyn. But before, I think we just want to, if it's all right, go back to some of the greatest hits, as you were saying, the, yeah. the share moment. Cher's greatest hits. Yes. <laughs> so first of all, just in terms of getting into acting and the, the climate at home and everything, it sounds like you and your parents had an unusual relationship, right? A lot of parents talk down to their kids like they treat them like children, which they, they are, are, but some yeah. of them have a different dynamic, your only child, and it sounds mm. like you kind of had a different sort of relationship. Um I don't I mean I don't think it really was. Like mm. we were we were a very tight unit. We are a very tight unit. Um and as you said I'm an only child and I think, you know, it was really just down to the type of parents that I had. They were very uh open with me and I think between them and the people that I was surrounded by from an early age in New York, which was like the theatre community mm-hmm. in New York, um, I had like actors and directors and all these amazing people around me that, you know, there wasn't another kid in sight. So I was talked to kind of, they played with me and they had the crack with me, as we say, mm-hmm. at home and um, talked to me kind of, not as an equal, but but definitely, I suppose, I wasn't talked down to I hope I would hope that (laughs) most kids aren't but um but yeah I just you know I have a really good relationship with my mom and dad but at the same time like they're the boss and (laughs) I was disciplined and there were rules and and all that sort of stuff but the reason that you were around a lot of theater people was because while in America I believe your father kind of stumbled into acting himself right yeah he did yeah he they did all sorts of jobs when they were there my mom was mainly a nanny and and worked with different families over the course of 10 years and and worked very very hard and took me to work with her and my dad was in construction and um, he worked. He told me he worked in the Waldorf Astoria at one stage, and um, a sewage pipe broke, and he was in the elevator shaft of the Waldorf Astoria, literally shoveling shite into a wheelbarrow. <laughs> oh um, so he was doing jobs like that, that and then eventually uh, he became a bartender and was very good at it, and was always like a joker and was very funny and things like that. And the Irish actors from the Irish Rep. 
um, and the Irish Arts Centre would go into his pub that he worked at mm-hmm. after a performance and this actor called Chris O'Neill saw something in him asked him to audition for a play dad thought he was nuts but then <laughs> man persuaded him to do it and uh, and he never really looked back he got the part he got the bug Wow. He wasn't a normal person right. anymore. Because once you're an actor, you're not a normal person. Right. Well, so for you, do you remember when it first occurred to you that you wanted to follow in his footsteps or do that? Or, or was it so early that you don't even recall? Um, it's, it's funny because it was never really something that I thought about. I mean, I was a kid. I wasn't kind of thinking, you know, I would like my career to go in this right. direction. Um, but I think my... I was an I am an only child and so creativity and my imagination was kind of how I entertained myself mm-hmm. and I talked to myself a lot and I very much like a lot of kids but I very much disappeared into my own world and was exposed to lots of different accents growing up so I put on a lot of accents when I'd play with my dolls mm-hmm. and things like that and dad saw that I that was kind of how I expressed myself and so when we came back to Ireland um, he said to his agent, I think she, there was a job, that there was a film that was coming up, a Michael Caine film, and they were looking for a young girl to be in it. Mm-hmm. And so he said to her, maybe, sir, she could go up for it. And, and I, you know, I can't stress enough that my mum and dad weren't, like, drama parents right. and they weren't pushy or they didn't do any of that crap right. at all. Um, but he just, he would always record me on the camera and he could see I was really kind of drawn to it and I was really comfortable around it. And so I went up for it, didn't get the part, was too young for it. Um, but then I went up for something else and, and I got the role in that and it was like a little part in this TV show called The Clinic at Home. And that was the first thing. And that was the first thing. And But it, but it was never really something that... I never really thought, oh, this is what I want to do. It was just something that I I enjoyed. Right. And then when Atonement came along... That's when I got serious. That's when I realised I yeah. couldn't ever give this up. Between the TV series and Atonement, there was one other movie, right? This was the Michelle... Two. Or two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One with Michelle Pfeiffer, I Could Never Be Your Woman. And I, yeah. I, uh, I've heard Bit you... Bit of a t- mouthful. <laughs> well, yes. And here you are making your... Was That, that was the first of the two movies that you said before? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember, as you think back to being on the set, just what the whole experience was like for you and being around all these, uh, just it must have been on a different scale than anything you'd done before? It was, yeah. Um, I, I think I, I was lucky in a way that I started when I was young, though, because it kind of didn't phase me either. Mm-hmm. You know, I was never, I didn't ever feel starstruck or intimidated or anything like that I was just I just wanted to do a good job you know Mm -hmm. um but there were so many well-known people on that job I mean Amy Heckerling wrote and directed it and Michelle Pfeiffer was playing my mom in it and like that was my first job you know and I was playing an American girl and um and it was great and I just remember and it was the same when I was on the clinic the very first day I just felt very at home there as soon as soon as you know the camera started to roll I felt like it was right to be here you know um and there's so much adrenaline that you get from it and I don't know just being collectively a part of something with a group of people um working on one scene at a time or one shot at a time is uh, is an amazing feeling you know is it fair to say that because I don't think that you necessarily studied, quote unquote, studied acting at no. any point, you did a lot of the learning about 
acting and probably life as well just on these sets just growing up. Just on the job. Yeah, right? I mean, that, but that's kind of the old-fashioned way of, of doing it and probably yeah. most effective. I mean, for me it was, you know, um, and, and even when I started out, I mean, actually before I started doing any acting at all, a lot of the kids in the school that I went to um, were going to this stage school. And so I went along because everyone else was going to it. And uh, I hated it. I just didn't, I just, I don't know, I found it, I liked learning little dance moves and things like that, but they were kind of teaching you how to, it was, listen, it's, it was great for, for kids and stuff, but it wasn't kind of that kind of big performance thing or kind of looking at it in a technical way. It wasn't, it just didn't seem to be how my brain worked right. when it came to that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, and, and really like my approach to work has always been, pretty much the same I mean it's kind of evolved a bit but um it's very much based on instinct you know just because I didn't I didn't train so I don't break anything down and I don't really make notes about anything or you know I just kind of go on feeling and and my dad was like that too you know atonement is the first time I became aware of you I think maybe most people in this country and um I wonder how that came about and when you realized that that was actually a unusually big deal because of all the th- you know went over so well yeah. critically commercially oscars all of this like how did it come about and what was the impact for you this this just shows you how it, it isn't just down to kind of whether you're good or not <laughs> it was very much down to one person or another going oh you know who you should see for this or you know who you should see for that and the dialect coach from i could never um jill mccullough worked with Joe Wright mm-hmm. on Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. and she was lined up to be dialect coach on Atonement and so they were looking for girls and I'm sure auditioning loads of different people and you know in the book Bryony I'm the I'm completely wrong for it like I'm completely wrong for that role really? well physically I don't look anything like how Bryony is described yeah. I don't look like I'm related to Keira Knightley you know and so um Jill mentioned my name to Joe because we became very close and and we loved working together and so I got an audition and um I was living at home so most of the time in in the earlier kind of years I would send tapes away still send tapes away yeah. and my dad would help me with them and we sent it away and I did my little RP accent and everything and um I got a call back and I went over to meet Joe and um kind of fell in love with him and the way you worked straight mm-hmm. away um, and really wanted the role and I went back another for another audition and uh, and then I got it and I remember when I got it I was just I was so I just cried I was so happy I was I was very excited about working with Kira yeah. um, and I had gotten to know him and everything and this you know again I think a lot of it probably went over my head and I wasn't really as aware of of how things operate, I guess, as I would be now, obviously, because I was 11, 12. But I knew that my love for it was was very, very strong, and I knew I really, really cared about the film. And actually, there was another film at the same time that, you know, comparatively speaking, was offering, like, more money or whatever. And even then, I knew it wasn't that wasn't the way I wanted yeah. to, to operate or to work and atonement was the thing that I really cared about and and it was just like a dream job it was amazing I was there for five weeks and James McAvoy was like 
he was the best. He looked after me so much and it just kind of, you know, escalated from there. But I think when it came to all the awards stuff mm-hmm. and the success, again, that wasn't a world that I was familiar mm-hmm. with. So I would say to Joe, I mean, I remember before the Venice Film Festival yeah. and he was like terrified, of course. He was right. like so, so scared. Baby, yeah. yeah, and I was 13 or something like that. And I just <laughs> looked at him and I was like, what's wrong with you? Why are you nervous? What's wrong? And he was like, oh, I just want people to like it and stuff. I was right. like, you'll be grand. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. You know, so. Right. And chronologically, so I believe you were already onto the lovely bones before all these accolades started coming your way is that right yeah yeah um yeah I started Lovely Bones um a few months after Atonement came out and um came out in September and I started Lovely Bones I think in October or something like that and was that I mean that's a big that was a bigger that was movie. big that, that felt that big. felt big it felt big yeah because it was peter jackson right. like, he doesn't you know. do small he doesn't do small <laughs> um although he can do small as well yeah. but yeah i remember when i when my agent heard and he called us up and he said i think you better sit down <laughs> i've got something to tell you and i hadn't even met pete at that stage like i had just sent off a tape and, yeah, and they they gave me the role and it was kind of amazing so yeah by the time all the oscar stuff happened and baftas and all of that i was actually in new zealand and in like a hole somewhere with stanley <laughs> tucci getting ready to murder Wreck me you, yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you still were very uh, obviously very young at that point is it weird to play a dark I mean, the character's not dark, but the story's dark, yeah. uh, as you know, what Susie has to go through. At that point of your life, you were able to still, you know, it's not terribly upsetting to know what's what your character's enduring. The funny thing about it is that we had so much fun on set. <laughs> it was so much fun every yeah. day, you know? Yeah. There's some films that you do when it's supposed to be this fun kind of experience right. and everything's light, and it's not like that on set. Um, and I found more times than not that when you do a drama or when you do something that's quite heavy you need to vent you need to have that other um attitude of of just kind of lightheartedness in order to balance things out in order for you to stay sane Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean i mean uh again like i i'd kind of follow follow instinct more than anything else but also at the end of the day or even between takes i was back to search again you know um and didn't didn't you couldn't stay in character you know you couldn't you couldn't do anything like that and so we just had a great group of people around us and had fun for like nine months and it was you know it was a tough job there was lots of harness work and lots of blue screen and um a lot of screaming and running (laughs) and crying and things a lot of uh a lot of corn, you know. Right, right, right. Um, I do remember. But it was brilliant. And, you know, the the atmosphere that Pete and Fran and Philippa create on their set and all their crew that they work with on every single job is so familial and it's, you just, you know you've been accepted into the family, you know. Well, that's what they told me. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> A question that I'm sure you're sick of answering, but I have to just I'll slip in there. I know you even probably know where this is going. Yeah. But okay, so th- your name. You said <laughs> you're right. I was going to just say it. there. It's Sersha. It's Sersha. No, well, I now know that, but I remember back around the time of Atonement and all this. And I'm thinking, Sersi. Right. So I imagine this is a business where like people who have easy to pronounce names change their name. Yeah. So were you getting nudged to do that and did you ever consider it? Never. Never. I would never change my name. 
Um, when I was a child and nobody else was called Saoirse, for the record, it's Saoirse, Saoirse like an Irish. Yeah. <laughs> and people in Ireland actually pronounce it Saoirse, Saoirse. so take your pick. Okay. Um, <laughs> whatever you want. Right. But um, when I was younger, I thought, oh, I'd like a normal name, you know, just right. because I was a kid. But the older I got, that that was never going to be, I was never going to do that. I was never going to change anything for, for anyone else. Um I think one person uttered it once to a friend of mine who we were working with on a film and she told them they were crazy and it was never brought up again. About changing it, yeah. About, cha- about changing my name, yeah. Um, if you if you by some chance ever did change your name, do you have the idea? <laughs> what's the alternative you? name? Like Bob. Mary Smith, Bob? Bob Ronan. Yeah. John Ronan. John Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> so coming back to... Cher. Cher, right. That's Cher. an easy one. It would probably be Cher Ronan. Although yeah. before she was Cher, I'm sure there were people that thought it was like her or her like her or whatever. Cher. Right, right. Yeah. So you... Obviously, got along with Joe Wright well enough that you guys reteamed in a very different sort of movie, Hannah. And I guess I'm curious, you know, in that case, is it fun to be a kind of a badass? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, it was completely different for both of us. Um, completely different territory, and um, I think incorporating physical work into drama was something that was really interesting and um when he i had read the script i think i read the script before he did um and obviously working title we're doing it and joe has worked with them a lot and so he came on board and added this really interesting sort of fairy tale element to the story um and turned it into something that was very layered and very kind of twisted and strange and um and childlike and all the rest of it and so the, Hannah was perfect for an actor because you got you had so much action and so much excitement and I, I mean I trained for like two over two months beforehand in Is martial that when arts you got into and, martial arts yeah, yeah martial yeah. arts and in the gym when mm-hmm. I was like fifteen and wow. couldn't believe I was getting muscles <laughs> and it was it was like completely right. I was grossed out by it but um <laughs> but yeah I really got into shape for it and then to be able to do this real kind of drama as well and and hopefully bring that to it was. Uh, was great but only recently I think it was when I was in New York or at TIFF or something like that they we we did a, a talk and they played a bit from Hannah and I hadn't seen it really I've I've only watched it once I don't like watching anything I'm in mm. anyway but I watched it once I think um and they played a clip where I break fake Marissa's neck <laughs> and I shoot like five different guys and right. it's really disturbing <laughs> it's like it's properly disturbing You're right but it's uh, no, it was great. It was so weird, you know. So by this point already, you're not, you know, you're you're so so young, and yet you have this great body of work, and you're impressing a lot of people. I've under, I understand that around the time of the host, one of your big fans kind of emerged, and that was Patty Smith. Yeah. And I mean, you might say like, how does this even come to to I be? Know. But she's really said a lot of lovely things about you. I'm sure she's not the only one like this that's kind of come out of the out of nowhere to to let you know how much she liked you, but maybe just out of curiosity with her, what's what was that about? I don't know how it came about. <laughs> um I don't know what what happened. I think um I had just done I was doing Grand Budapest Hotel and obviously Rafe who was our shining star was on that and he's good mates with Patty and um, he had mentioned to me that 
she liked some of the work that that I had done and I thought Jesus that was amazing and I had read Just Kids and you know loved her and what she stood for and how she never changed and you know even in those earlier years she never kind of conformed to what everyone else was doing which I which I really respect um and I went straight from working in Gurlitz where we did Grand Budapest to doing this big tour for the host and you know it was like a commercial film and not kind of like a little artsy film that you'd expect Patti Smith to turn up at and at our New York premiere someone came over to me and said Patti is here to see you and I don't know I think she came along just kind of when I needed her really she was kind of like um, a guardian angel or something and you know, we were doing a lot of press and I was still getting used to all of that. And she just said hello to me and took my hands and looked at me and said, just remember, it's about the work. It only can ever be about the work. And as long as you remember that, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. It was amazing to to have someone like that even speak to me and to even know who I was, but then to share that with me something that I felt anyway but that you know a lot of people don't necessarily encourage for you to just have quite a pure mentality when it comes to work you know it can get so clouded I think and for someone like that to come along who's been so influential and say this is what it's about you can stick to that and you can just focus on that and you'll you'll be fine you know was was amazing for me yeah that's great yeah all right so down to business about brooklyn which i i see everything i have to this is my job all the stuff that's you know in this time of year and not blowing smoke up your behind hair this is my favorite movie of the year i loved it i thought it was so great but i understand for you that even talking about it let alone making it and now watching it or whatever it's a emotional thing and yeah i suspect i know why but maybe you can talk about um, it's, uh, I related to it in, in every way, every way. Um, and you know, when I signed on to the project, I was still living at home. I was still in, in Ireland. I grew up in the country. Um, I grew up in quite a small place, which was, you know, 20, 25 minutes away from Enniscorthy where the film set and um then you know when I met John I was thinking about moving away to London and so in the time that I had signed on to when we actually made the film I had moved away and you know when I went over there I thought oh it's similar to Dublin it'll be fine you know and I've gone there a lot and stuff and it, it wasn't the same of course and I you know no matter what when you move away from home that realization hits you that oh shit I can't go back now that's it you know even if you were to go back home for a little bit after that your relationship with home changes and and with your parents even and your childhood and where you grew up and and where you want to go next and all that sort of stuff it all changes and and you're you're aware of that only when you move away and I don't think it hits you until you move away so um yeah so I was really homesick and so I went into this job suddenly being incredibly homesick going back home not only to to Dublin which was still a relatively new place for me but to where I was when I was a kid and I think I still you know because I worked away a lot when I was younger 
I, I did kind of, I think a lot of people do, but I grieved from my childhood and I still miss that. And I, you miss that. Someone said to me the other day, which is very true. It's a simpler time, you know, and even though it's not necessarily a world you want to be a part of anymore, you look back with rose-tinted kind of mm-hmm. goggles and you think, oh, it's it was so simple back then. Right. And I missed it. And so we, we were in this town, which was very similar to where I grew up, with people who were very similar to the people I grew up with. And I think I felt a huge responsibility to not mess it up for everyone. You know, and so for the first couple of weeks, especially, that's why it's all so amazing that this is going on is because for the first like two weeks or so, I was genuinely I was convinced that I was just doing such a bad job. I was like, I'd call up my mom every single night and I'd say to her there they can't be happy with what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I feel completely out of my depth. I was nervous. I had never had this sense of nerve before or loss of nerve um, on any other job. And that was very, like, weird for me. I felt very surreal. And then I got into it and then and then I was fine. But I was... It was the first time I felt fear, you know? Do you think it was because so. it was not escaping into somebody else's skin? Exactly. It, it was, like, basically your own experience yeah and there was nowhere to hide yeah I wasn't in heaven I wasn't a vampire (laughs) I wasn't an assassin and I there's such a a a freedom when you do that but actually this was the hardest thing for me because to be able to play someone who's whose identity was so similar to my I mean this felt like it was my identity and um, and I was still kind of coming to terms with that myself and still trying to figure out where my place was as a young adult. And it was it was hard. It was it was very, very emotional for me. But um, yeah, and, and even just her relationship with her mother and and, the, the, you know, her, her relationships with the, with the the men in her life and kind of I don't know, it just really I tapped into it on a very deep level, you know, so going back a second how did it come to you and I understand that you would I'm sure every movie about an Irish young person young female has been kind of sent your way but you have been biding your time waiting for the right one from what I understand you know how did it come to you and why is this the one that you said yes to aside Um, from what we've just talked about you you know it's it's your life right um but that's the thing is that I didn't realise that at the time. I didn't realise that yeah. when I signed up to it. It was only afterwards mm. and, and during the shoot. But uh, it just, kind of the way every other script comes to you, it's just my agent read it. He said it's an Irish project and based on an Irish novel. And I had read Brooklyn a couple of years before, oh, yeah. which was, I usually, um, I don't go back to novels or anything like that. And I, I hadn't read any of the other ones um, that I had been involved in yeah, the adaption yeah. of. Um, but I had actually read this and I loved it and read the script and Nick just nailed it. Like yeah. he just, I mean, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And the way himself and Colm write women is so spot on right. and um, and so well balanced and, you know, so I, I really responded to that and then I met John and you know he had moved away to London 15 plus years before that and I was about to move there and so we got on really mm-hmm. well and yeah and that's kind of how it all wow. came about we should just say for people that are listening and don't know Nick Hornby 
previously did adaptation of uh, an education yeah. wild as you say these are stories about women yeah. which is and he does them very well but one of the things that i was thinking about watching this is that there are not many actresses that you could watch this and lose yourself in the you know as a viewer watching this movie because unfortunately most well-known young actresses today we kind of know a good amount about them in their life off the screen and unfortunately in in some cases it's stuff that pulls you out of being able to lose yourself with it that fairly or not you know some of your contemporaries basically it's like you know whether it's nude photos or falling over drunk or whatever with the paparazzi I mean it's like we know a lot about them and I think that people don't necessarily know much about you outside of your work and so uh, except for the fact that you seem very nice and put together and not like that and so I think that it makes it more easy to a lose yourself but b root for this kind of a person to do well because it's a very Likeable. So I, I guess I just wonder for you, has that been a conscious decision to not, you know, you relocated, I guess, to London at one point, but not to America, not to Los Angeles. You've not been out there kind of uh, doing, at least visibly, some of the things yeah. that these other yeah. folks have. Not visibly. Not visibly. I mean, have you thought a lot about how you want to have your off-screen persona be? Um, To me, it's never felt right for my own private life to be known by people who I don't know, yeah, <laughs> basically, right. you know. Right. Um, to me, that whole notion is quite strange. And um, I, I've i always wanted it to be about the work that I've done. And I am more than happy for people to come up to me and say, I loved that film you were in. I loved that character you played. I loved that story. Um, you know, I never... I don't know, it just it just seemed like a strange thing to be like, oh, by the way, this is what I do on my downtime and right. this is who I'm dating and this is my favourite skincare line <laughs> and all that shit. Right. You know, um, and you still get asked that stuff, right. but but also I think, you know, your work can reflect that as well, the kind of films you do. And, and, and even, you know, if you want to get like industry about it the type of events you go mm-hmm. to or you know people you work with or or whatever it is I mean you know from a kid I've never you do kind of get asked to do interviews when you haven't got a film coming out just about you we just want to know about you and I'm like why do you want to know about me there's nothing that you can gain from knowing about me you can gain something from knowing about the film because mm-hmm. then you can go see the film and hopefully enjoy it or not enjoy it or whatever um so it's been quite simple for me that whole time. But, but you know, by the same token, I was going to move to L.A. for a few months last year. And, I, you know, I've, yeah, cause not Beverly Hills or any of those <laughs> awful places, but, um, but I've got a lot of brilliant friends there, you yeah. know. And America is very much in my blood. I'm from there. I'm from here. Um, I'm moving back to New York next year, which isn't, you know, New York is kind of its own little thing anyway. Um, but I love America, you know, I... Yes, it has it has flaws, but so does everywhere else. And um, I get certain things from America and New York in particular that I don't get from home necessarily, from Ireland, you know, or, or London or someplace else. Well, one of the flaws I think that America could work on is the way that we regard immigrants. And this movie kind of reminds people that you know, unless you're a Native American, you or somebody before you was an immigrant. We're all immigrants. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it just reminds how hard it is and that nobody, it's not, 
it's a huge sacrifice. Yeah. It's a huge thing that, I mean, and also, you know, see people, I think, are so, it's so easy to come along if you're a European or you're from the UK or Ireland or whatever and come over here and just bash America. And you guys do, you know, which which I think is kind of lovely that you guys are the first ones yeah. to go, listen, we know we've got problems yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Ireland isn't isn't dealing with the migrant crisis that well. The UK aren't. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. We, we all have to work on mm-hmm. that. Um, we all, and I I think um, not to put more kind of importance on on films. Well, I, I do think films are important, but um, I hope that you know with a story like this and with Marianne Cotillard's film, The Immigrant, immigrant and things yeah. like that, and with In America, Jim Sheridan's film, all these stories about people who are leaving home to set up a home somewhere else. If we can look at an individual story and actually empathise with one character or one family, hopefully that will spark something in our own heads and our hearts and kind of go, oh, well, that's what these people are going through then. And all the, the, the masses of people that we're watching on the news that have no homes to go to and they're literally just drifting from one place to the next, to the next, mm-hmm. they're in the same situation, if not worse than that, you know? Absolutely. And the fact that this is set in the 50s, I think maybe force people to remember at least that this is not a new thing no this is also it's ongoing it could be their you know a lot of people it could be their parents it could be their grandparents it could be them you know yeah. and and so anyway i just thought that was nice i know for you it also offered a kind of a perk which is that instead of as you've said being a vampire or whatever else you actually <laughs> got to be kind of glamorous in this movie i, which did. Was I got nice. to wear a dress, a dress. It was and nice. sunglasses and right. lipstick <laughs> That must be... Probably for the first time people actually went, oh, she's female, she's She's a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and in the course of this movie, people who have known you only as a child actress, by the end of it, I I don't think anybody's going to think of you as a child actress anymore. At the end of it, is that something you're happy about? I mean, it must be kind of like, obviously (laughs) Hannah's a badass, but she's a... It's still a a child. You know, now this Ailish is uh, as the last scene, and we won't get into it for people who haven't seen it yet, but... It's very clearly she has now assumed a different role in life. And yeah. it seems like for you, the movie has had that uh, effect as well, right? It has. And there you go to go back to the parallels again. Like, yeah. that's another thing is that, the, you know, John said to me in rehearsals, and it's something that will always stay with me just kind of in my own life as well. I get really emotional now talking about this, that um, this, this story ultimately is about a choice, regardless of what the choice is. It's about a young girl getting to a stage where she becomes confident enough, grows into a woman as she goes through these experiences. And she's finally, at the able at the end of this story, able to come along and stand on her own two feet and say, I know who I am, this is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do. And there's something very empowering about that because, you know, with this film as well, you know, you, you'll know when you see it, if you go and see it, you should go and see That's it. That's right. Um, <laughs> that she is kind of put into a corner a little bit and she, she ha- you know, you know what I'm talking yeah. about with the confrontation mm-hmm. at the end. She has no choice. She, ha- I mean, she'll be 
cut out ultimately otherwise she has to stand up and she has to do something about this but i think what the empowering thing is for for women i hope and for for filmmakers alike with this story is that there's no good or bad option it's not like a hollywood fairy tale where there's like the bad guy who's a hunk and she you know that she's going to the wrong side of the tracks if she stays with this person and this is the good guy Mm -hmm. angel over here they're both they both offer her different types of security and offer her different worlds that she she both she loves you know both of um and again it's a sacrifice that she makes mm-hmm. but she makes a choice regardless right. and i think there's something really amazing about watching a young woman go go through that in her life you know totally so winding down here as you look back at this movie what is it that you are proudest of of, of your work in it and what has it been like to see other people uh, respond so positively to it from Sundance, where it, one of the biggest deals ever, nine million people went crazy for it. It was a that doesn't happen with every movie. So as you look back, what are you personally proudest of? And then what's it been like to see it be so well received? Um, <clears throat> they're kind of one and the same at this stage. The whole thing has been incredibly personal um, for for my mom to have seen it at Sundance and essentially watch her story come to life on screen and say to me at the end of the screening that that brought her straight back to how she felt when she left home and she left her sister at home and her dad and um she felt like someone had come up to her and said I know how you feel I know what you've been through mm-hmm. And that was amazing. And every single other person that I've met so far has had the same reaction. And I've never had that with a film before. I've never had such a kind of fulfilling experience where people people absolutely look at this as their story. And it is their story, you know. It's their story as much as it is mine, as much as it is yours, I'm sure, you know everyone takes something from it and relates so much to it and and it has such a deep personal connection to it. I think personally what I've gotten out of it um, is doing something that genuinely did really, really frighten me. I was really scared doing it and I really didn't think that I'd get through it most days. Like there, there were times where I just thought, I'm going to ruin this whole thing and to be able to kind of like walk through that fire and, you know, have all of this happen I'm still pinching myself and I'll continue to pinch myself so well it was terrific and I really appreciate you doing this and thank you thanks a lot